This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I'm joined for our penultimate episode of the year, all of a sudden. Uh, I'm joined by Mr. JD Daniel. Hello JD. Hey Jordan. Good to be back. How is it the penultimate episode of the year? I don't know man. Time really flies when you're talking, racing, having fun and you know then suffering from seasonal depression because the racing season's over. <laughs> I was going to go with wibbly wobbly timey wimey myself, but um, yeah, I, I I do not understand how we are already at the end of the year. Um, seeing as though we're talking about the end of the year, a uh, quick reminder that in our last episode, we announced the Into the Paddock Awards that are going to be on next week's show, which will be our final episode of the year. Um Head over to uh, any of our social media channels at Into the Paddock. That's with the number two. Uh, click the link in our bio to go to our link tree, which is also at Into the Paddock. Uh, the top link in there is a link where you can vote on a Google form for what you think should win in a variety of different categories, including driver of the year, disappointment of the year, um, overtake of the year, etc., etc. Um, have your say. Uh, we'll have a look at all of those answers and then come up with our own nominations next week. And then we will argue for a few hours about which should be the winner um i am looking forward to that debate (laughs) yeah we previewed a few answers already and some of them are just hysterical i can't wait to see all so you guys haven't put in any answers please go fill out the the google sheet you know we want to have a good time with it yeah it's it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun so yeah tune into next week's episode for that and um I don't know what else we're going to do. Maybe just a retrospective look back on the year, maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll see whether we want to talk to each other after all the arguments. Um, yeah. This week, however, on the Into the Paddock podcast, we are... Well, we're, we're our main kind of topic, we were going to look at... So, since the racing stopped a couple of weeks ago, we've been having a, a couple of discussion-based episodes. And we had an idea to carry on a discussion point that we had last week where we looked at how to fix Formula One. We looked at all of the problems with Formula One and offered our own, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A constructive feedback, perhaps. Unsolicited, not asked for amateur advice to these big multi-billion dollar corporations. Yes, something along those lines. Um, So what we were going to do is we were going to expand that into this week and have a look at... because. You know, Formula One is the one that we think needs the most work. However, even our most favourite of racing series have some things they could do better. So we were going to have a look at that. And then that kind of coincided with two bits of news that came out 
over the course of the week relating to what is personally my favourite motorsport series, um, which I have also been incredibly vocal during the course that we've done this podcast about how they could be doing a lot better, and that is IndyCar. Wait, really? You've been vocal about this? I, 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 I don't know. I do we do these shows, and then like when you when you deafen your mic when you're not talking, do you also like turn the the volume down? Like, <laughs> just <laughs> that would explain how you're able to have done well, not quite forty seven, but a lot of episodes listening to me talk. Um, no, yeah, IndyCar is. I, I love IndyCar. I'm again. I'm wearing the same IndyCar shirt from last week that I have washed this since, and myself. I don't believe you. Um, I, I really don't believe that. <laughs> um, I love IndyCar. For me, IndyCar encapsulates everything that motorsport could be. Um, it, it's incredibly exciting. The on-track product is fantastic. Um, the for me, the the big thing. I, you know, I said this when we were talking about which driver we believe is the goat variety is a massive thing for me in 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 all of motorsport it's the drivers i respect the most are the ones that go and race a variety of different things and indycar kind of has that on a on a smaller scale whereby it's the one of the most diverse racing calendars you can get you know you've got your road course racing you've got street tracks and you've got ovals and different kinds of ovals super speedways and short ovals i think the only series that could argue to be more diverse is nascar um when they had dirt and even then it was kind of shit so yeah oh, <laughs> i i like to pretend nascar never covered bristol <laughs> i just wanted to live in that universe well now we're back in that universe so it's it's fine we're, we're good um but whilst i have a lot of things good to say about indycar um it is a series that has had its fair share of controversy and difficulties note the split um, which mercifully I wasn't really cognizant of motorsport when that happened. I know you probably were because you're old. Um, <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> I'm not that old. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it's had recent controversies as well. Obviously, the whole pack racing thing, uh, car designs being unsafe, um, and multiple stuff away from the track, like video game rights and other marketing related things it's just all marketing it's all bullcrap yeah. and um one of the most one, one the, the thing that kind of the, the news that came out over the course of this week is something that indycar has been struggling with for a couple of years now so you will note that with other series across the world um a lot of them are introducing new cars over the last few years you look at nascar's next gen car you look at the supercars new new car you look at Formula E's Gen 3, Formula 1's move to ground effect, you know, they're all evolving. IndyCar hasn't had a new chassis since 20... 2012, well, and it's just been evolutions of. I, mean, I was going to say 2018, and whilst that was different, you know, they went away from the universal... Uh, no, no, the non-universal body kits, where you had uh, engine manufacturer-specific uh, aero kits, which were horrible... Um, they moved to this much simpler design in 2018, and then they went to the aero screen for 2020. Um, so whilst it may look like from outside that they've had different cars, the chassis has stayed the same since 2012 with the DW12. Um, now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not one of those people that that, th- that thinks IndyCar needs a new car. Like when the on-track product is this good, you know, it's not my major concern and we'll, and we'll go on to later what IndyCar's main concern should be 
Um, however, one thing that's always apparent, like even with even when the chassis stays the same, there's still the potential for the power units to change, and that's something that IndyCar has been looking to do for a while now. Um, another thing you will notice in a, in a lot of motorsports is how they've been introducing hybrid technology and electrification. Um, Formula One's been doing it since 2014. And uh, now we're approaching 10 years since then, and IndyCar still hasn't done it. They're planning to do it. We were meant to be racing this year with hybrid technology, and that was postponed to next year. And then came the news that many of us expected. Um, I believe it was on Wednesday. Um, so in preparation for IndyCar's introduction of hybrid technology, there have been multiple tests. However, those tests have largely been with one car for each manufacturer at a time. Uh, mostly by Penske and Ganassi. Um, there was supposed to be a uh, test um, this month, I believe, uh, with uh, featuring 10 of the teams uh, running the new engines. They were going to be um, 2.4 litre twin-turbo V6s with hybrid technology. Um, however, that test was then cancelled out of nowhere, leading to many of us thinking well, how how is it that we're going to start a championship in March and yet none of the teams have tested their new engines in December? You know, it's like alarm bells are ringing. Is this going to be a shit show? Are they going to delay it? And then sure enough, <laughs> a couple of hours later, it was announced that the, um, <laughs> quote, the much anticipated debut of the new power unit is expected to launch after the 108th Indianapolis 500 during the second half of the 2024 IndyCar series season. Um, thus continuing this, this long painful saga of, in, of IndyCar struggling to get hybrid off the ground. <sighs> uh, firstly, um, before we get into anything else, do you, there can't possibly be anything that could go wrong with introducing a completely new engine, basically, halfway through a season yeah um look <laughs> this is gonna get delayed for a whole nother year yeah like at this point you, you can't do completely new power units in a top tier series halfway through the season that looks amateurish you know on top of the mountain of delays we've already had in developing the hybrid technology plus all the millions of dollars chevy and honda have poured into it it's just it's just, I'm not sad. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> um, the only saving grace for IndyCar is that they finally woke up and took their license back from Motorsport Games, and that their on-track product is fantastic. But everything else is just like, come on, man. Yeah, and and I see the idea. You know, it, it's better to have delayed the engines a little bit than to have pressed on with what ultimately was going to be a shit show with so many people not having tested the cars. I think uh, Scott McLaughlin uh, tweeted that it was ultimately disappointing for everyone involved, but making sure the product on track continues to be competitive is key. And quote, I think this is a good move to make sure we continue that. Um, can't wait to get started. Um, 100%. But the mid I agree with I mean, you. The mid season thing is a horrible idea. I would much rather them delay it in full for a full year. Because what happens, say, if, yeah. if one team or one manufacturer is a, it has much better success with in integrating the hybrid technology 
and then you end up with a, a the first half of the year one one driver walks away with the championship say say Alex Pelot has another incredible start to the season and is dominating the championship after the Indy 500 I mean that wouldn't be much of a surprise yeah, regardless of how you thought. but then all of a sudden Honda can't successfully integrate their their hybrid as as efficiently as Chevrolet and then Pelot's entire season collapses through no fault of his own because the regulations changed mid-season like it's just not a very good idea or a good look if it were to happen. Um, I think, yeah, in, in, having a clean break and whilst it would be painful to say, oh, we've got to wait a whole nother year, I think the ramifications of of a championship being ruined by a mid-season integration would be really, really bad. When we consider that one of the strongest things about IndyCar, if not the strongest thing, is the on-track product. So if the on-track product mm-hmm. was then ruined halfway through a year... What else are you left with? Yeah, I mean, I it's you know it's it's better late and good than never, or early and bad, or early. This. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this this IndyCar hybrid integration it needs to bake for another year, just like the new Forza Motorsport game of the year. <laughs> um, like it, they they need time to get it right, and I'm. I'm fine with them taking a whole nother year to make sure that it's right because yeah, we both agree it's top three series in the world as far as on track product. And we also have to understand that IndyCar has been under a lot of, it's had a lot of changing seas in the past few years. You know, they had the whole sale of IndyCar to Penske entertainment. You know, he's, then they had the whole COVID situation, you know, trying to make sure they can keep the series up and running, renovating Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the series and trying to entice more manufacturers to come in. They've had a lot on their plate. So I'm willing to give them one more calendar year of slack in terms of implementing these necessary changes. Um, but they really need to start ticking some boxes and pulling some of these crucial things off because otherwise this series won't have much of a future in spite of how good it is and we both don't want to see that no exactly and that that's the heartbreaking thing about this is the indycar the potential is so good and so many series struggle with the on-track product formula one that's the hard thing is to get an on-track product good you know to get everything aligned where where the racing is consistently excellent that that takes a lot and to have everyone aligned on the same vision and everyone happy with that level of competitiveness, you know, that that's huge. But to then falter on so many different things, organizational things, uh, marketing, the stuff that we'll get onto in a bit. Um, it's just such a shame uh, more than anything else. Um, yeah. And, and, and as for, as yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. I, I'd be, I'd be fine with IndyCar waiting another year at this point. It's been so long since the last, innovation in IndyCar's car design that what is another year when you've already been waiting five <laughs> like it, it, yeah. it's a shame to think like, like that you know for IndyCar as much as I don't think a new car would have been a priority if all of their other eggs were in order then yeah I'd be saying well it's high time we brought in a new car um but it's just how it is I suppose yeah I mean we know that not all the teams are at a good point financially. I mean, heck, you could even argue half the teams on the grid, they can barely field the cars for a whole season, let alone get new expensive power units and then add a whole new chassis on top of that and having to get spares for a new car. So I understand them not 
necessarily pushing for the new chassis right away, but it is something that will have to come to fruition eventually. So we'll we'll see. I I'm disappointed, but I hope this gives them time to make the <clears throat> to make the hybrid system much better and to maybe, you know, include some fan cues to see when the hybrid's working cuz from the earlier test we saw they're saying, oh yeah, we're not going to have any LEDs to show that the hybrid is charging or deploying or anything like that. I think, you know, even though it's something very small, just visual for fans, I think that could enhance the product so you can see the strategy and the racecraft going on on the track to enhance what's already a fantastic product. But yeah, better to it be late and great than early and broken. Yeah, better to be... Oh, what's a good example? Uh, better to be... What what game what game actually was delayed and ended up being good? Any? Were there any? <laughs> Not in recent memory, no. man. You know how it is. I, I, I was going to say better to be this than cyberpunk or something, but I mean, no, nothing's no. good these days. Um, I mean, it eventually got yeah. good. Yeah. Anyway, um, no, I, I agree with you. Even on the little subject of of having a little light to say what when hybrids being deployed, as you say, for the fans at home that's not a huge thing because there'll no doubt be a graphic that will show when they're deploying it but for fans at the track that could be crucial and specifically a place because they're planning on doing it at ovals as well where there aren't long braking zones to be able to recharge that kind of thing it would be good to have that as more of a reminder that it's there just to be like oh this technology is still here and it is still making an impact from a shareholder's point of view you know you want your series to demonstrate look we're we're moving with the times we're bringing in electrification you know without that little light you know it's one less thing to indicate that you are evolving you know it, it seems like a little thing but it is you know a little thing makes a big difference um and yeah, absolutely. Especially if they integrate some of the IMSA technology for the IMSA hybrids, because like the way the IMSA does it is that they can only produce a maximum out of like 670 horsepower just to put a number out there. But they can actually that's only limited at the axle for where the power actually gets transferred to the wheels. So they can actually charge the battery while going in a straight line they can do f1 clipping so they'll boost the engine power up but still only the same amount of power will go to the wheels so they could actively do that it'll burn some more fuel but you know strategically deploy the battery later you know for an attack or defense so scott dixon will master get like insane fuel mileage (laughs) it doesn't matter and then as if this wasn't enough of a woe for IndyCar, because obviously they then proceeded to get panned quite a lot on social media with people saying, look, how, how are we still waiting for this? Um, the following day came the second punch, which was a, a comment from America, American Honda Motorsports Manager Chuck Schiffsky uh, in an interview with Racer, uh, where he said that there are... Uh, concerns about the cost of indycar racing for honda and whilst they are committed to their current engine supply contract uh, which is uh through to the end of 2026 they have said that in order for them to renew and to continue racing beyond 2026 they need for costs to come down um he he went on to say, you know, they don't have that IndyCar doesn't have a third manufacturer. The last new manufacturer that came to IndyCar was fucking Lotus. You know, the, the, and that was 2010, like 2011. It's 
far too long ago. Were you even born back then? Nearly. Um, I, I was close. I was at least a thought. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and he said, we don't have a third manufacturer, and there's a reason for that. It has to do with the cost. The return on investment, if the, if the return on investment matched up with the investment, we'd have a number of other manufacturers involved. And then to expand that out, um, beyond it, when you don't have that many manufacturers, you know, IndyCar just had a record-breaking or, or first time in a long while, a, gr- a full-time grid of 27 cars. Um, that's uh, you, you need to then have a field of 27 cars split between two manufacturers, 16 to 18 entries each, and then more for May. Um, and then uh, you know that that's a lot for two for only two manufacturers to come by. We we've heard quite often in the last few years, you know, when you're trying to get above thirty three cars at Indianapolis to in order to initiate bumping, we've heard different manufacturers say we're at our limit with who, how who we can supply because obviously it's not just one engine per car. You've then got to have spares, you've got to have replacements, different engines in the pool in case one goes bang, uh, which is usually a Honda. Um. And, you know, it costs a lot of money, even even though they're simplified engines at this point compared to the likes of Formula One, where you could live quite comfortably forever on the amount of money it takes to run free engines in Formula One for a season. You know, no, Formula One engines are so expensive. They have to spin off entirely different companies to produce <laughs> them for the F1 team so they don't count towards the cost caps. Yeah. And, and IndyCar engines are nowhere near that. And yet the cost to be involved in IndyCar racing is that much harder. I think that's more of a retrospect on how little it pays out to be an IndyCar compared to Formula One. You know, it's nowhere near the same kind of prize money, nowhere near the same kind of advertising and TV revenue, I imagine. Um, And it's a series that obviously just isn't looked at as much as Formula One, and that's something we'll get onto in a bit. Um, You know, there are problems, and this is before IndyCar successfully or maybe unsuccessfully implement hybrid technology, which is only going to make that more expensive. So for Honda to now basically be saying, look, if things don't change, we're not going to be here past 2026, that would leave just Chevrolet. And that would not me- we would not get 27 car fields anymore. There's no way yeah. Chevrolet could accommodate that. There's no way they it, could do it. It would kill yeah, the series. It would. It would. Losing any one of the two manufacturers we currently have would kill the series. That's how serious this is. Like this is, this is drawing a line of the same. Like, look, we love you, but you know, you done messed up enough. You know, you got to go get a job, you know, <laughs> bring in a third manufacturer or like, we just can't keep doing this anymore. Yeah. It, it, it's really heartbreaking, but I totally get what he's saying. He also mentioned like the return of investment, all the manufacturers are getting an IMSA, how there's, a multitude of manufacturers in that championship, you know, and they can get a really good ROI, you know, Acura won three races last year, including the Daytona 24 hour. We won't mention the tire pressures. Um, sorry, Greg. Um, you know, but it, it, the return for IndyCar just isn't there. I mean, like we say, like IndyCar is one of the top three best series in the world. IMSA is also up there this past year, past couple years, you know, now there's all the excitement for IMSA, Fire manufacturer, I'd focus there too. Yeah. Uh, the good thing about this is that uh, IndyCar's uh, president, Mark Miles, has already commented, or rather the president of uh, Penske Entertainment, blah, 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 um, has already commented saying that they are aware of this and have been aware of this. This isn't news to them. Um, they're trying to, quote, think a couple laps ahead on everything, and we're confident that the sky wouldn't fall. 
Um, but you know, IndyCar have a history of saying and promising certain things and then undelivering and underdelivering. And then you know, j- just to think back to when Penske acquired the sport in Indianapolis, um, the Speedway, not the city. Well, it's basically a city anyway. Who cares? Um, you know, it's not Jim Ursay's. <laughs> Um, you know, even back then, you know, he, a lot was promised when Penske acquired IndyCar. And yet, whilst Indianapolis Motor Speedway itself has received a lot of incredible upgrades, the, the, the facility's never been in as better of condition as it is right now, it's hard to see that same level of investment and improvement in IndyCar as a whole. There hasn't been any major great strides if anything, there's been a bit of a decline in some certain areas, which, yeah. <laughs> so, th- th- yeah, I think, the yeah, whilst this is the first we're hearing of how severe the problem is, or, you know, the first official confirmation that's been given to the public about it, I, I am confident that behind the scenes they know what's happening. Am I confident that they're going to be able to successfully na- navigate it and prevent the problems from happening? Less so. Um. <laughs> I mean, it, either way it goes. I mean, obviously, we we both hope that they're successful, cool. but either way, it'll make a very interesting business case study to see how do you navigate this maze, because they they literally can't afford to lose it unless you know we get Rolex branded power units from not Honda, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and there are manufacturers out there that are going to be interested in joining IndyCar. We've heard rumors of Toyota in the past. We've heard rumors of, I think, Chrysler were, were, were in, even interested um, a few years ago, which is weird. Um, I think Toyota used to do cart engines. They did. They did. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I mean, Toyota probably gets a better ROI out of NASCAR currently. So I'm not sure they'd yeah. want to jump into IndyCar with how much less people watch it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think if you improve any one of the things that we're going to talk about momentarily, that ups the chances of everything else being fixed. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if you fix one thing, it will drag everything else up with it. So it doesn't really matter which, which area IndyCar targets, as long as they target something and try and fix it soon. But to spin into the second part of this conversation, which is what we were going to originally do anyway, about talking about following on from last week where we spoke about formula one and how to fix that what do the other series that we view as better than formula one also have to look to improve on so let's start with indycar considering we're already talking about it i think one thing that i might not have necessarily mentioned last week but now will mention is the return on investment the cost of which to compete um the beauty of indycar um and this is something that we suggested could be a thing that Formula One could look into, is it's a spec series. Um, you know, that's a good thing about IndyCar. Obviously, imagine how much harder the cost would be, would be to enter IndyCar if you had to develop your own chassis and aerodynamic properties and all of that. You know, that's one thing that IndyCar's got good that's going for it. But what you need is a better return on investment. And that leads on into what I was going to say last week. <laughs> The marketing. <laughs> I honestly feel like IndyCar's worst attribute is its marketing across all different 
definitions of the word and applications of it be it uh advertisements in the local area where races are going to be we've heard quite a few times that people had indycar races on their doorstep basically and had no idea it was there st petersburg uh-huh. <clears throat> which is wild to me when you consider that st petersburg is you know it's it's what it's the, the opening race the damn season how is that not marketed properly um you know then you transition to its online presence um you know indycar has an online presence it, it's pretty good during the season now however when the season is not on which is for an, a substantial amount of time because it only runs from march to mid-september um the season basically dis- the, the whole championship basically disappears Whereas you compare that to other series like NASCAR and Formula One and the marketing machine rolls on and you never really forget about it. The off-season seems really short because A, it is shorter, but the marketing keeps it up there. You know, they're constantly posting clips from the season, clips from previous races, um, interviews with drivers, you know, all sorts. Um, Just the the marketing in, in general in IndyCar is just incredibly subpar. There's so little eyes on it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, the marketing portion of IndyCar is sad. It's The marketing is left up to the drivers and the teams themselves to try to push the series and to keep eyeballs on it instead of the series doing it or even the, the network partners. They aren't, they only push it when the season's on, you know, but, you know, we're reduced to, you know, checking Joseph Newgarden's or Scott McLaughlin's Twitter updates to see what's going on in IndyCar land or see if David Malukas has posted any cool memes lately you know or pato award flexing that he's doing race car driver things you know but the series as a whole you're right it just completely disappears and they don't have a good strategy to engage audiences not just their hardcore aging audience they're not also attracting a younger audience to rejuvenate their base and to show growth so it's really disappointing i mean it feels like i don't get me wrong. Roger Penske and Penske Entertainment, they are a legit company worth billions. They know how to run a business. But how to engage with modern audiences, I'm not so sure. They have all the right pieces there, but I don't think they know how to use it. I think they're scared of social media and everything because like, we saw how Bernie handled F1, how they had virtually no social media presence whatsoever, any criticism that came from anybody was severely punished. You know, IndyCar, I don't think they understand any of it. And we saw how they handled the motorsport games thing. They're like, oh yeah, we'll try to do a video game. Oh, let's do this one. It's called Motorsport Games. What could go wrong? But they, if they did their due diligence, then they would have known that might not have been the best choice. You know, now, I mean, when was the last time you saw IndyCar Twitter post? Or Instagram post. I, I've seen more from IndyCar on NBC than I have from the IndyCar series. That's not good. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you. I'm sure they have, but I just I see far more from the actual stations that are covering it. So, like, I'm not saying that IndyCar itself is being lazy, but I'm just saying they don't have an effective strategy or someone in charge of that marketing strategy who knows how to engage people. Cause like they did the whole, you know, made their own IndyCar show 100 days to any, they're preparing a season two of that. That's great. 
but you need to get eyeballs on it. You need to attract people. You need to show off the technologies that you're developing. Like they mentioned every broadcast or like maybe like two times during the season um, that they are hundred percent renewable fuels, you know, and that they have these tires made out of desert plants. And then it just went away after they mentioned it once. They should be harping on yeah. those things. Like, hey, manufacturers, hey, people who are environmentally conscious, this is racing and also environmentally friendly. We can have our cake and eat it too. That kind of thing. But I, I, t- I, I totally we'll agree. See. And the 100 days to indie thing is, so, is something, you know, we've seen a lot of series in the wake of Drive to Survive jumping on that bandwagon, uh, be it 100 days to indie or NASCAR trying to make a sitcom for some reason. Um, Oh gosh, I wanted to forget You're welcome. that. You're welcome. Oh, <laughs> that was horrific. Did they ever do a second season of that? Oh, are they doing a second season of I that? I need a drink. I don't know. I, I hope not. Either way, um, you know, we've seen a lot of series trying to do that kind of thing and trying to market the series through a different media output or style. And from what I've heard, I, I didn't watch a uh, hundred days to indie because it wasn't exactly easily available for international audiences um which is another problem um i've heard it was good however the last the large majority of people watching it were people who were already fans of indycar and that's what drive to survive did better is that it got people into the sport that weren't into it before um is that a fault of where they put it i believe it was on the cw um i only know the cw from the flash um and supergirl <laughs> most people um, do you know it, is that I mean, as an american is the cw a big thing <laughs> the cw's move into sports is actually very new um they, they acquired the rights to the xfinity series to broadcast that you know they have 100 days to indies we're, we're talking about now they're also getting some uh football games i don't remember if it's college football it's probably college football games um, they're trying to expand their portfolio to not just be the teen drama channel with questionable special effects. They're they're actually trying to become a legitimate sports powerhouse because that's where money is right now in live entertainment. So it's not a bad place to put it. It just might have been too early before you know. It's like CW for sports. What are you What are you smoking? Yeah. So is the answer maybe that they should have targeted that at? a more widely widely available streaming platform like prime or yeah. netflix yeah like hulu disney plus but i i doubt disney would want yeah. it but you know it'd at least be something that more people have and that are involved in and internationally available like uh, indycar yeah, is man, indycar has it, such it, an they, international appeal over the last few years you know with drivers coming over from formula one from australia and new zealand from from all over Europe, you know, they need to capitalize on that, and and ha- having it not readily available in a lot of those places is is bad. You know, it's all right for me as as an as yeah. a British IndyCar fan because obviously we get that lumped in with Formula One, um, so it's quite easy to watch IndyCar races, albeit they offer the practice sessions and qualifying sessions often get put aside if there's any F1 action on. Understandable, if not annoying, but why didn't we get hundred days to Indy? You know, why wasn't there a deal put in place where we were able to watch that? Where people who watched Formula One but not necessarily IndyCar were then able to watch this this documentary and then get involved that way? You know, it seems yeah. like a bit of an open goal missed. Yeah, and there seems to be a lot of those of IndyCar lately. But like I said earlier, like they've been through tumultuous 
past three, four years, you know, new ownership and everything that's going on with the whole world, you know, but the patience is going to run out in one calendar year, if we're being completely honest. As far as like international coverage, like IndyCar is primed to do an IMSA TV situation where, okay, you don't have a network deal in your country. We will stream it on IndyCar.tv. You get the full race, no commercial breaks, whatever, just to expand the audience and maybe grow some some market share, get some value back into the series in terms of like human interest and capital. But I don't run Penske Entertainment. I'm not qualified. I'm just a fan who wants to see the series. They have that to an extent. There is a a way for on the IndyCar website. There is an IndyCar international stream uh, that you can watch if you're in a very few amount of countries that don't have a deal. However, it's not it's not marketed. <laughs> you know, we don't hear about it. <laughs> I didn't know exactly. about it. Because you're in the US, you've got a deal. And, and you know, we're, I'm in the UK, we've got a deal. Maybe we're just not getting pushed, that kind of thing. But I, I don't remember seeing, like, occasionally I'd see a tweet, like, that was a reply to one of their other tweets saying, by the way, if you're international, you could watch it here. And, and even then, shout that shout you've that then out. got to sign up <laughs> for an account to do it um it, it, the indycar website's notoriously quite difficult to navigate um it's not a seamless experience like it is imsa tv where you can log in sometimes the player will glitch a little bit but then you just refresh the page and it'll work you know imsa do that brilliantly um so yeah, I would say marketing is the main thing. The other thing that I it crosses over into IMSA actually, and I think is the sort of bridge that we'll use to go on and transition to what IMSA could do better is officiating. You mentioned it. Um, IMSA and IndyCar are very similar in in a lot of the ways that they officiate things. Um, they both they, they really do. Um, <laughs> For, for, it, it's incredible that we have done 47 episodes of top tier analysis such as that um yeah i've completely lost my train of thought um yeah officiating over the last few years uh in imsa and indycar has been incredibly inconsistent and or frustrating and i think the key embodiment of the frustrating part is when they throw a yellow um we've yeah. seen both series utilize this kind of relatively recent thing in motorsport whereby if a caution comes out during a pit cycle or right on top of a pit cycle um provided it's not a car that's completely covering the racetrack uh, they will uh delay the caution until all cars have had an opportunity to pit so as to not interrupt the race or to interfere with the race result and the strategy uh my immediate response but that in itself exactly. is my, my immediate response to that is another driver could be screwed out of having pitted at the right time because you then give everyone else a chance to pit. Like no matter what you do, you're interfering. Um, the, but the most important thing is, is that quite often, especially in IndyCar, I'm thinking back to Portland when I think it was Augustine Canapino yeah. was uh, right in the firing line on the exit of the fast chicane at the end of the lap had cars shooting by at not much less than racing speeds and yet they waited for a good two laps in to, to throw the yellow several minutes it felt like it felt like an eternity and like we were watching the race and i was screaming at the tv throw out the freaking yellow because literally if any other car went off track by a little bit like they're just gonna spear right mm-hmm. into him it was so 
incredibly dangerous. It like the reasons we have yellows is to protect the drivers. And we are we've spoken at length how drivers are complete idiots and they will do everything in their power to keep going fast and you have to force them to do things safely. Like just you need to protect these guys from themselves. They're so crazy and so dedicated and determined to be the best. That's why we have yellows for safety first. And like, I, I was watching a, a slap shoe video earlier today and he spoke about uh, freezing the field under caution. Cause NASCAR used to race back to the yellow until they realized, Oh wait, this is actually a little dangerous. Let's just freeze the field immediately. It's been a thing in, in sports car racing for a little while in IndyCar as well. Just if someone's in danger or has crashed debris on the track or whatever, you throw the yellow flag to protect that driver who went off and everyone else and anyone else who could come across that path in an unsafe way. It, it's one of the most frustrating and just mind-boggling things I've seen just develop in the past few years. Like I'm more mind-boggled by that than the lack of, of racing standards, just shoving people off the track. Like this actually boils yeah. my blood and I, it race interference, my foot protect these guys for themselves. Yeah. And, and the, the racing standards was another thing I was going to get into because again, that's a, an officiating problem that shared. I think it's more in IndyCar than IMSA, but we have seen several instances in IMSA where it's been questionable. Like, I don't know, Petit Lamar and the, and the finish between uh, mm-hmm. uh, Wayne Taylor racing and uh, action express. Um, but also, but a lot mm-hmm. more in IndyCar, you know, I think back to Long Beach where Pato Award sent Scott Dixon to Narnia uh, 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 and into the wall and out of the race. And, you know, that was considered fair game. And Scott Dixon was like, well, okay, if we're allowed to race like that, then I'm going to do it back. Um, it's not just yep. an IndyCar problem. We've seen it in other series like Formula One. Um, it's, 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 it's not specific and NASCAR, it's not specific to any of those series. However, it's, it's a problem, you know, racing room and, and, you know, all the time you have to leave it a space has really vanished over the last few years. Um, so I would like, but, but then that's the other thing with IndyCar, it's the consistency of it. You know, I, whilst I disagree with that mindset that you're able to do whatever you like, basically to the car on your outside, so long as you were alongside them. Um, it's the fact that that isn't then implemented all of the time. We see other situations during the season where similar incidents, almost identical, are not penalized. So it's like, all right, if you want to go this way and and have this more aggressive, you know, racing etiquette or lack thereof, then make that the norm. You know, be have that be the line. Enforce it every time. Do one or the other. Just do it consistently. And, and, and yeah, that's a problem in IMSA, that's a problem in Formula One, that's a problem in all, all, all sorts of places. So I, I, I couldn't say that's um, specific to IndyCar, but officiating is yeah. something that both IMSA and IndyCar need to do a lot better. Yeah, like I, was listen- I was listening to the Money Lap podcast and they had Brody Kostecki on. They talked about the racing etiquette between supercars and NASCAR. And he said, yeah, in supercars, they really officiate the crap out of it. You cannot move someone out of the way to make a pass. Like He's like, sure, you can like door rub and stuff, but if you actively hit somebody and move them and you gain from that, that is heavily penalized five seconds, 10 seconds on the spot, either in your pit or after the race versus NASCAR, where it's just, oh, uh, they'll take care of themselves, driver respect, unwritten bull crap. But the point that Len Castle made in response to that is like, well, 
promotes really good, hard, clean racing. You guys can rub a little bit, but if you're not cleaning each other out and as race fans, we just love seeing a good, hard, clean race for the win or for any position because that's where the sport's the most entertaining. Like we saw a lot in IMSA this year, you know, Sebring 12 hour, for instance, it was a good, hard race up until they all wiped each other out. Same with Petit Lima. It was going to be a great knockout battle to the finish until the guy literally knocked him out with an hour to go. You know, we, we were robbed of these climactic battles that make racing great. And instead we just end flat with like, oh, well, I guess it's over. That guy's just going to win now because the other guy's behind the wall. So it really takes away from the best parts of racing if we let the drivers be that much over-aggressive and over the line. So we need official and officiating to draw that line and stick to it to promote actual good racing. Totally agree. And and to protect these guys, because we can't have them wreck yeah. these cars. That Petit Le Mans hit was oh, so yeah. hard. Um, continuing on with IMSA, is there anything other than officiating that you think IMSA could be doing better right now? Um, That's definitely I, number one for me, is officiating. IMSA is in a really mm. good spot, man. I think the only thing that IMSA needs is to get more eyeballs, and they're already doing a great job with that. Like their social media this off season, you couldn't tell it's been an off season. They're showing like all the testing, all the new manufacturers, still new cars, new teams. Like they're just on it. The only thing they need is just more eyeballs and maybe more money for for the teams because they're really killing it right now. I mean. We've seen, I've seen nonstop pictures of the Lamborghini LMDH testing at Daytona because it was like, even though you're not in the Daytona 24, your butt better show up to this testing session. (laughs) You know, and then they go put the fastest lap time in and everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're going to be so good. You have Lamborghini, Porsche, BMW, Cadillac, Acura. Is it? Yeah, that's all. Uh, Yeah. Like, in the top class, you know, and then you have 18 billion GTs <laughs> and a stacked LMP2 field. And the racing was good, aside from top class cleaning each other out. But the racing yeah, good. I, I agree with you. IMSA's in a really good position. The officiating is really the only major issue the, and, and the marketing. But but it's not, I wouldn't say that's even a major issue. Like, not anywhere near as much as IndyCar. No, the marketing's, their marketing and social media has really stepped it up like, they're marketing their uh, win the weekend oh, really? docu-series yeah. fantastic and each of them has like over one and a half two million views like they are starting it off right and their social media has been killing it in the team's social medias as well oh my gosh like the explosion of teams like ao racing mm. with rexy and roxy all over the place oh they, they are both the series it. and the competitors it, are working tandem with that so ra- okay so rather than saying that marketing is an issue it's more viewing numbers but that's not even an issue it's just something that yeah. needs to just catch up and let play out over the years because it's going to get better it's 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 viewing numbers in hmm. tv because they're still very limited to like peacock races at the same time nascar's on that doesn't help their viewership because you know you got the other racing juggernaut going on at the same time you know and then they're on an obscure streaming service that no one likes you know like i i really hope that with this new nascar tv deal that ims's coverage and broadcast capability gets increased because i mean nascar production is going to be producing 
more content for NASCAR. Hopefully some of that will be allocated to IMSA as well. So they can get a little bit more love globally as well. Cause like IMSA TV does a fantastic job. I'm sorry, NBC, but the IMSA radio broadcasting just makes the races a whole lot better. Like I'm, I'm rewatching the Daytona 24 from last year and they are killing it. So I, I really think IMSA is in a good spot. They just need to get more eyeballs on it. Cause everyone who I've, I've shown IMSA to is like, wow, this is yeah, great. And, and I agree with you. Every time I've seen, you know, luckily I'm international, so I get to watch, you know, the IMSA TV broadcasts a lot easier than someone in the US gets to. Every time I've seen any of NBC's coverage, I'm like, this is just not as good. Like, <laughs> it, it really isn't. Like, it's it's a bunch of their NASCAR people doing the answers. Like, oh, wow, these sports cars are different from the NASCARs I'm used to. Herder. They got all this electronic gizmo stuff. Like, no, you're, these sports car fans are really smart who would have thought um, you know they they really enjoy good racing and yeah they like their loud vh too but like, like they're not unsophisticated people they imsa radio people treat their audience with respect for their knowledge of not only the racing but the cars themselves and i really wish that other series would take that stance as well instead of going to the lowest common denominator like he's behind the other car that's called drafting <laughs> uh whilst we're talking about um rsl's coverage of imsa um it was announced last week there was some questions about it after petit lamar with the way they signed off that broadcast there was speculation that they might not imsa might not be returning to rsl it was announced last week that the deal will continue um rsl are going to be able to con- to continue to show live free and geo free coverage uh with imsa and nascar productions both in in sound and visuals so that's really really good news for international imsa coverage it is good but i think i read that it's only for 2024 i don't remember if it's a multi-year deal for that i didn't I, I might have misread that. The, the way they seem yeah, to have spoken about it before is that it, it tends to be something that isn't negotiated in batches. They they tend to to not necessarily know whether they've got it for another year afterwards until this time. You know when they're when they're renegotiating it. I, I think if IMSA continues to go on the positive trajectory and it continues to ride the wave of this new golden era of sports car racing, there might come a time when international coverage might become a little more difficult uh less free mm-hmm. um but until then like the the only way I, I want them to keep the same broadcast team together but i also know they are their own independent company but i kind of would almost wish that they'd be brought in-house to imsa while still being allowed the freedom to do all the other series that they cover like the nurburgring 24-hour series you know spa or dubai 24 or whatever you know, I still want them to have the freedom to cover those races because they do an excellent job. But if it means that you know we get to keep the IMSA coverage, I want them brought in house to have the funding to go up to that next level. Yeah, because because the RSL guys are very a, a really small operation, and to be able to do what they do and to cover the sheer amount of races that they cover every year internationally, a lot of them on location, not all of them, but a lot of them on location. Um, and and you know it can't be denied that a lot of IMSA's international growth and appeal in the years leading up to this 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 global resurgence in sports car racing a lot of that is due to the the great coverage that RSL have been able to do uh, for IMSA over the last 
however many years they've been doing it now. Um, you know, John Hindle yeah. is the voice of IMSA for me and for many. Um, so I think IMSA need to maybe realize what a, a, a golden goose they've got with RSL and, and, and work with them more and more collaboratively. Absolutely. Um, moving on to another series that's got a problem with officiating, and I think you and I watched the same video about NASCAR. Um, if, if anyone hasn't seen Slap Shoes's brilliant video, uh, NASCAR and the Dam of Legitimacy, I highly recommend it. It is an it is a fantastic video, and it, I agree wholeheartedly with pretty much every single point that he says. Um, we've been through officiating, you know, everybody knows NASCAR struggles with officiating, be it phantom cautions, which then didn't become phantom cautions because they replaced them with stage racing and just admitted what they were doing. Um, be it, you know, they have certain other inconsistency issues, you know, not penalizing the same drivers for the same thing. Um, over officiating when it comes to drivers saying stuff against the series, actions detrimental to stock car racing for example um mm. but I, I would say that nascar's <laughs> biggest problem is its legitimacy um i've said multiple times in this podcast that nas that nascar knows what it is and isn't ashamed of it and for a new fan like me considering you know i've only been into nascar for about 10 years um i don't hate the playoffs I, I do see a way that I don't like this version of the playoffs. I wish that consistency was a little bit more important. I'd prefer it if we went back to the 10 race run. If we're going to have a playoffs format, I'd prefer it to be 10 races rather than rounds of three. As somebody who knew NASCAR before all of this, aka you're old, um, uh, you yeah, know, there's is. a lot of resentment within the NASCAR fans of old with regards to what nascar has come into do you feel that oh absolutely yeah and uh you know to be perfectly clear it's all matt kenta's fault <laughs> i mean he was just too dominant in 2003 won the championship with a race left and i was like well what are we even doing here you know it's already over and then uh brian france made the chase for the cup uh yeah thanks matt kenseth but, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I understand NASCAR kind of needs to grow and change, as does every series, to keep in touch with what audiences want and expect from their entertainment. And yes, in the past, there were, I do remember some really boring freaking races. Like, I watched, I think it was the 2001 Talladega 500. That race went caution free at Talladega. The whole race was green flag. And, Bobby Hamilton won. Like that's how NASCAR used to be. You had these long few mileage races. I think Junior's win to break his winless streak was a few mileage race at Michigan. Like it, it really took another dimension out of NASCAR races. Whether you know a driver could pull a Scott Dixon, pull a crazy fuel number to stretch it to the end. You know, so many fantastic finishes from the late 90s early 2000s were oh no he's running out of fuel in turns three and four will he be able to coast to the line before the guy who took more fuel gets there you know it, it took away that that mental game for these races now it's just pit get new tires pit get new tires pit get new tires and now ram the guy into the wall to get the win 
Yeah, I know that's an exaggeration, but that's not far from what NASCAR is kind of aiming to do uh, as entertainment over sport. I, I think that's really the, the crux of the issue. They want to be more entertaining and take away the sporting element, which like the video spoke about. But it's something that we've been saying for years, you know, not on the show, obviously, but, you know, just in our own private discussions, because NASCAR wants to be WWE. WWE, it's all scripted. It's all fake. But they pull in massive audiences who just want that adrenaline rush of seeing people go flying. NASCAR loves its crash porn. You know, you see every race promotion is, oh, here's this big wreck. You know, this car flipping, massive pileup, fans cheering like it's a monster truck rally. You know, it's, but it NASCAR supposed to be a sport first. Racing is a sport. It it's an entertaining sport, but it should be a, a sport first. And NASCAR really has lost sight of that. And now they're they're just kind of lost. It, it's really disheartening and sad to see. But at the same time, as saying that, you know, NASCAR's downfall and descent towards entertainment over substance has led me to all the other fantastic series out there that still care about racing, like V8 Supercars, IndyCar, and IMSA. If NASCAR was still good, I'd still be one of those ignorant people that say NASCAR drivers are the best in the world. You know, but now I know there's many other skill sets out there. And I learned that Scott Dixon exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. There very, there very much is, you know, a lot of other series uh, have an, a problem where they have a loyal fan base that's been around for ages, but their struggle is attracting a new one. Whereas with, with NASCAR, they've kind of alienated their older audience in search of trying to get a new one. And yet they've they've been on a downfall for almost as long as um uh, almost as long as the playoffs have been a thing you know it's it's just ne- it, yeah. they have not been able to retain that you know mid 90s early 2000s high that formula uh, that, that nascar yeah. was on um pretty much since the 1970s um it, it, it's interesting um how that hasn't worked and and yet you know nascar i think as a whole their major weakness is a lack of self-awareness with regards to you know everybody could a million and one people could tell you what nascar could do better in terms of you know be it how to make the cars more exciting you know everyone's been screaming about more horsepower and less downforce yet nascar was like oh it's expensive to do that meanwhile all the engine manufacturers are like we could easily do that you know and yet that seems to be the only thing that nascar won't do to try and improve the racing they'll do everything else they'll literally they'll reconfigure racetracks they'll cover them in fucking sticky shit to try and make a a top lane workable rather than just give them more power and less downforce it's the universal thing that everybody wants and yet they won't do it and and it's a similar thing you know we all thought we've all said so many times until we're blue in the face we don't like the playoffs we don't like the inconsistency. We don't like the fact that consistency doesn't matter in a championship, you know, and yet they will do everything, but the things that are obvious and the things that everybody, including people inside the sport, be it competitors, pundits, team owners, whatever, everyone's screaming for these things that would help. And they're not doing that. So I think that's, you know, NASCAR's biggest two problems are its legitimacy and its refusal to listen to anybody else. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that for so long it was run by a family who didn't, you know, what they said went. Yeah. I mean, there's, 
it's not the only series that's owned by a single private entity or family. I mean, we've always already spoken about IndyCar being owned by Penske Entertainment, owned by Roger Penske. And before that, I, I forgot the family's name. I know that's sacrilegious. Um, uh, who owned the Indianapolis Motor Speedway before they sold it to Roger, you know, but I don't think that in itself is the issue. If the stewardship is good, the France stewardship, you know, from ever since Brian took the reins just has not been beneficial for the sport. I mean, like you yeah, say what you will about big bill France and bill France jr. They had a connection to their audiences and understood what they wanted to Brian France grew up in the Hamptons. He doesn't understand what the core NASCAR base wants from racing. He just sees it as this, or saw it as this money pile that his family owns. You know, and I know that now it's run by Jim France, his uncle, and he he's done a fantastic job, you know, stewarding IMSA as as the owner of that series. But for NASCAR, I'm still not sure what the goal is. Like they've obviously been struggling with this next gen car and i think it's just a fundamental issue with the car design itself rather than just fix this or fix that like yeah we'd love them for to test more horsepower but i heard drivers say they put more horsepower in their sims and it did nothing to the drivability of the car that it's still the tires too big i think it's, that's just what it is the tires too big they have too much underfloor downforce and it's just a flawed design and it'll just be super expensive to go back to the drawing board and start over. But it might be a bullet that they need to, to take, especially with the new TV money. Just reinvest that, get in another car. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot that NASCAR could do as well. Um, we're going to win this. They're doing video oh, games yeah. better, though. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, maybe. They're, they've got the idea, right? It's just the execution on what developer they pick. But, they, you know, they're, they're on the right track. You know, at least they're not IndyCar. Um, we're going to end this uh, part of the show here, the first half of the show. When we come back, um, we said last week we hoped that we wouldn't talk about Formula 1 for, the, uh, for this week. We're going to have to because somehow, despite only being a couple of weeks after the season, they're already in another controversy. Um, we'll also have some NASCAR related news because one of the teams has decided to enter MotoGP. Um, and we'll have some other news alongside that. So join us shortly after this break. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock podcast. This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. Go into the weekend with the Into the Apex Podcast, reliably producing sim racing and iRacing banter for over three years. Tyler, Bradley, Patrick, and Rob come together each week to hang out, and everyone's invited. Coming out of the Motorsport Weekend, there's the End of the Paddock Podcast, where Jordan, Greg, and John will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there. There are no cold takes on ITP. It's all on the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed, 
presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark, OnlyFans Into the Apex, Infowars Into the Apex. We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, it's provocative, it's everything we do here at the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to IntoTheApex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. And welcome back to the second part of tonight's Into the Paddock podcast episode. Before we get underway with some <sighs> Formula One drama, uh, be sure to uh, that you're following us on all our various social media channels. We are at Into the Paddock, that's with the number two, on uh, Twitter, Instagram and threads. That way you can stay up to date when our latest episodes go live. Also be sure to check out our affiliated podcasts on the Into the Apex podcast network and subscribe to the Into the Apex YouTube channel to see video clips from our show and our sister shows. And if you're a fan of everything Into the Apex, you can sign up for 99 cents a month for premium access uh, to the ITA podcast network uh, through Spotify and Anchor. Uh, you can check all of that out at intotheapex.com. And as we said at the start of the show, uh, make sure you head over to any of our social media channels, click the link in our bio to go to our link tree and vote in the Into the Paddock Awards that will be happening next week. I always um, wanted to ride in the willpower poop truck at Red America. That'd be a great answer. Someone that, that's that. moment of the year right there. Like hundred <laughs> percent. Someone vote for it. Yeah, we we gotta include that. God, what a year. Um it's it's been a year for Formula One as well. Um it's been a long year and after the season ended a couple of weeks ago, we were all hoping that you know, maybe it would be a bit of a calm few weeks before everything started ramping up at the start of the year, you know, car launches, etc., etc. However, we weren't even able to bridge the gap between the final race and the prize-giving ceremony before Formula One launched headlong into another controversy. This time with yet another thing that is, is really showing the split between Formula One and the FIA right now. Um, the FIA announced somewhat out of the blue including for those who were involved uh, last week that they were their compliance department was looking into an allegation of information of a confidential nature being passed to an f1 team principal from a member of fom personnel formula one management um initially there was no you know we didn't know who were the parties involved however very quickly uh, Susie Wolf, uh, who works for Formula One Management as the head of F1 Academy, and Toto Wolf, who we don't really need to introduce, you know, he's the team principal of Mercedes, stepped forward and said that they were the ones at the centre of these allegations. Um, the allegations really appear to have come from almost thin air. Um, there was a couple of less reputable websites that were reporting that Susie Wolf was potentially using her position within Formula One management to feed information to Toto that would be beneficial to the Formula One team. You know, immediately I ask what possible information could Susie Wolf, the F1 Academy chief, have about Formula One's inner workings that could help Toto? I, I don't think there would be any, but okay. Um, 
and uh, yeah, Su- Susie and Toto were very quick to say, you know, they were completely, they didn't know about this investigation until the FIA announced that, you know, they, they weren't aware of any allegations until the FIA, the, until they announced they were being investigated. Um, very quickly after that, every single team on the grid issued an identical statement about uh, saying about how they had not issued any kind of um, protest or allegations and they and they stood firmly behind f1 academy and its vision for the following years and, and recommitted to what they're doing next year and their involvement um and then almost immediately again a couple of days later the fia announced they were ending their investigation as the blowback continued uh with um formula one itself coming in to say that um the fia were acting without their knowledge so so the FIA were looking into formula 1 management and formula 1 management had no idea of anything happening then <laughs> because this was on the eve of the prize giving ceremony and you know the head of the FIA is Mohammed bin Sulaim um almost exactly the same time that the FIA announced that they had ended their investigation they sit, they put out a statement saying that Mohammed bin Sulaim had suffered a fall and a concussion and had received care in hospital and will make a full recovery. Uh, this coming moments after uh, Mohammed Ben Sulaim deleted tweets of him at a uh, public engagement a few days prior when he was alleged to have had this fall and concussion, and then proceeded to be at the FIA gala not looking like somebody who had recently had a fall and a concussion, but what do I know? Definitely not trying to cover up anything there. Um then you had Lewis Hamilton wade into it, say it was completely unacceptable and that the investigation was wrong and that it, it was, a, quote, a disappointing week to see the governing body of our sport question the integrity of one of the most incredible female leaders we've ever had in our sport with Susie Wolf, without questioning, without any evidence and then just saying sorry at the end. You know, whether... that That's the thing for me. It's yet another completely unneeded storm in a teacup that formula one and the fia have completely just self incriminated themselves in damaged the reputation of a load of really massively influential and important people in the series and then just kind of tried to cover it all up as if it never happened thoughts (laughs) the fia formula one all of it as a whole is they are that one friend that's always embroiled in massive drama and then they blame you for them being involved in all the massive drama all the time. That's what it feels like with with all of this. It's just sheer incompetence <laughs> on so many levels. What is the FAA doing? The FAA is that when people post the clown memes in discords for race officials, it's because of stuff like this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we've seen people this year get penalized for stuff like that. Like, but that it is becoming an actual clown show. It's not becoming, it is an actual clown show at this point. Just, I have no patience for this. This is just embarrassing on every single level. Just how, how I don't understand how the FIA continues to operate at all with this amount of just, bullcrap that goes on there's just so much unnecessary bullshit around everything the fia touches absolutely everything like why did they like 
firstly, if this if there was any merit or evidence to this investigation, the the FIA and and Formula One are under no obligation to actually talk about it. You know, they they could have investigated it and then reported their findings had anything been found. They did not need to publicly incriminate themselves in it, this. It, you don't even see if any there was other, any evidence. Yeah, there's there's no evidence because they're Which like, oh, we're just looking into it. <laughs> Every other jurisdiction or sporting authority, they will investigate first, talk about it later, not go, hey, we just got a tip from Miranda about this. We're going to start investigating. And by the way, you're broadcasting that to your you know, 600 million fans across the world and then go, oops, takesy backsies. <laughs> you can't do that for an organization this size. Like we were just talking about NASCAR struggle with legitimacy, Formula One struggling with its own legitimacy and the FIA showing its incompetence. Like they can't even, you know, run their own ship, right? We expect them to be the motorsport governing authority of the world. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's mad, and and I think the key thing for me, because again, there was nothing that Toto or Susie did wrong, so that's almost irrelevant at this point, apart from the damaged reputations. If, if they had a problem with her holding the position, they should have done like said their stuff about that before she even took the yeah. position. But good grief! But, like, but all of that, she's is, incredibly capable. She is fantastic. Yeah. Oh yeah, like the 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 what Susie Wolf has done for women in motorsport over the last ten years, you know, previously as a racing driver and now as as a key proponent, you know, the head of F one Academy, it's incredible what she's done, and 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 to have her her legitimacy questioned in any way by by the FIA is incredibly damaging, not just for her, but more so for Formula One and the FIA's you know outlook on wanting to promote women's participation in motorsport it's just not a great look but but all of that aside you know because there was no issue you know that the the main the funniest thing about this for me is yet it's an yet another stanza in in this this ever emerging conflict between the fia and formula one we've seen it so many times this year you know you think back to you know their opposing sides on cadillac andretti coming in you know the fia after persuading are all for it and now formula one have something against it you know you think back to when there was that potential sale of formula one to the saudis that was rumored earlier this year and and the fia came out to talk about well ben Suleim himself came out to talk about how he thought that the 20 billion price tag that was being banded about by rumors again this was not official we did not need to comment on this he came out and said 20 billions is inflated and Formula One came out and said, it's rumours, firstly, and secondly, you shouldn't be talking about commercial matters because that's what we're here for. You're, you do the sporty-sporty, we do the commercial-commercial. Like, I think a lot of the problem of, th- of this flare-up between the FIA and Formula One recently is square on the shoulders of Mohamed Ben Sulaim. You, you think back to his predecessor in the role of FIA president, uh, Jean Tart, he he was a much better figure for the organization and running of Formula One. Yeah, there were still issues, but he was so much less vocal outwardly. He was more of a person in the background, quietly doing his job. And yet, Mohammed bin Sulaim has come in and has been one of the most vocal FIA presidents we've had. He's constantly getting his his his, his voice and opinion out into the ether about issues that, frankly, 
he shouldn't be commenting te- commenting on as the president of the FIA. And this is after he's he already said at the start of this year that he said he was going to move away, move back from day to day involvement in Formula One to try and focus on the job as a whole. And yet, since then, he's never been more vocal about Formula One. It's embarrassing, and he's actively hurting the FIA and Formula One's public image. He needs to either shut up or fuck off, really. Like, to put it bluntly. I mean, he's running the FAA just like he ran that Renault F1 car into a wall <laughs> in a drag race. Do you he reckon all this the- is him just trying to make sure that, because when I type in Mohammed Ben Sulayem into Google, one of the or YouTube, what the top thing that comes up is F1 crash. Do you reckon this is all him trying to just make sure that his first autofill isn't that crash? There's easier ways to do it, but just I mean, he's just the picture of incompetence at this point, or being out of touch. I'll, I'll put being out of touch, yeah, um, at the top of the list. But like, I I didn't really pay attention much to F1 like 20 years ago, but like, I feel like what we know now obviously changes it, but like, I feel like Max Mosley was better than this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. If you don't know about Max Mosley, he, he got into some creepy stuff behind the scenes, but the FIA part was better than what we're doing mm. now. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, when we talk about Mohammed Ben Suleim's crash. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware of this. He was a racing driver before his FIA and, and motorsport governing roles. Um, he was a rally driver, and in the mid to late two thousands, he took part in a event in Dubai uh, where he was driving a Renault Formula One car. I believe it was two thousand seven ish. Um, in a drag race with a Ford GT. Um, spoiler alert: He lost that drag race, which would have been embarrassing in and of itself. However, he lost it because he thunder cunted that car into the wall almost immediately upon setting off from the line um, and caused heavy, heavy damage. It feels like that's the sort... You you know how the uh, Chinese president Xi Jinping uh, doesn't want people to know about the fact that he doesn't look like Winnie the Pooh, but he's embarrassed about it, so he censored Winnie the Pooh. I feel like Mohammed Ben Suleyan probably thinks about that video the same way. So... We'll share it on our social media if you want to see it. Um, just type in, if, if you don't even have to go to our socials, go to YouTube and type in his name and it's the first thing that comes up. Watch it. It's fucking hilarious. Like if you think the GM executive wrecking the Corvette as a pace car was oh, hilarious, no. <laughs> it's so much worse. And somehow he's trying to make Form- Formula One and the FIA in the 2020s a bigger crash than that. It's quite incredible. Um, Let's move on to another little bit of Formula One news. Um, the, the, uh, <laughs> just before everything imploded around the wolves, um, F, the, uh, Formula One announced their sprint events for 2024. Uh, we know y- not yet the format. They're still looking at proposing a new format for the sprints, another one. Um, and that will probably be ratified in an early meeting next year of the World Motorsport Council. However, we know what tracks they will be at. Six races will have sprint races over the course of next year. I'm surprised it isn't more. I would have thought they would have wanted to maybe expand it out a little. Uh, However, we are going to have sprint races at Shanghai, if the race actually happens. Um, Bold to commit to a sprint race at an event that kind of is on a knife edge as to whether it happens every year. Um, 
Miami, because apparently the Grand Prix itself is so bad that we need more of it. Um, then Austria, uh, which will uh, become the first track to host three sprint races. It, it's a good track for it. That's fair. Cota, uh, uh, second sprint race that they've had. That they've had. Brazil, which always puts on a banger. No questions about that. Love Brazil. And then Qatar, which I know the Qatar sprint race this year was good. That was mainly because of the tyres. I will be very interested to see whether I'm proven right if they are given tyre grip and all of a sudden the race is bad. Um, Very briefly, what do you think of the tracks they've selected? So they're picking the same tracks over and over. This is going to just be like every iRacing season where a GT3 is at Spa. <laughs> you know, How it's, daring. <laughs> it's just going to be so predictable. It's like, okay, sprint races. Okay, it'll be Red Bull Ring. They just, yeah. just copy F2. We've been over this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm torn on this issue. You know, I, I feel like with sprint racing, you either need to fully commit or not at all. On one hand, I'm happy that it's only six races because I currently don't like how they are. So at least we've only got six of them. On the other half, if they wanted it to be a good thing, they need to they need to do more of them. Um, but we'll see what they choose with the format. So, hooray! I guess on to more exciting things. Um, WEC uh, Jota announced the full driver lineup for their number twelve car in a series of staggered posts over the course of today. And um, their drivers in the 12 car will be Norman Nato, um, who is an incredibly underrated racing driver. I'm really happy he's getting a chance in a car like this. Um, he will also be joined by, and I'm completely, uh, Will Stevens, who is remaining with the team. And, and this is the exciting one, Callum Eilot. Uh, he will be transitioning over from IndyCar. You know, his ill-fated deal with Hunkos Hollinger Racing came to an end. Um, really late in the year. I was a bit worried about where he might find himself, given a lot of teams across the motorsport world have their driver lineups already set by now. And yet he's landed himself in a very competitive seat in a very competitive championship. I'm so glad that he's come out of this whole situation with a very good ride because he deserves it. He's an incredibly talented driver, snubbed by Formula One, as most really good drivers are. And then given a very bad hand in IndyCar with a team that didn't want to support him um, when he was obviously the better driver and also the driver who was the victim of some, quite frankly, horrific comments from his teammates' fans. Um, For Callum to have come out of that with a Jota drive and to be competing in World Endurance full-time next year, I'm so happy for him. Yeah, yeah, excellent break for for Callum. I mean, he's literally... But he he almost won the F two championship a couple years back. Like he had dominated the season up until some bad luck towards the end. He is a immense talent, and like some of the drivers he had in the youngest car in IndyCar were just freaking phenomenal, just out driving the machinery he was in. So I'm super excited for him to get a top line drive in a top line series, and he's just gonna kill it because he's just that kind of driver. So I I'm super happy. This is working out for him and i i hope to get to see him in some other series do some more races since there's only like 10 races that weck does there's lots of breaks in between so we could potentially see him pop up in other series maybe even imsa yeah i'd love to and that's the joy of him signing with a privateer team is he's got that freedom 
to negotiate for other race seats, be it in, you know, maybe some other Porsche 963 outings in, in different privateers in IMSA, as you said. Um, I, I believe he's commented saying that he wants to do the Indy 500 next year. There's usually a surplus of seats for that. And being a driver who's competed in a couple of them, that could go quite well for him. Um, but yeah, it, he's too good of a driver to not be on a grid. And as you say, the calendar's really short. So if, if we could see him in anywhere else, that'd be great. You don't become a Ferrari driver academy driver without having something, if we ignore Luca Badoa. Um, but he, he's incredibly, incredibly talented. So I'm, I'm really happy for him. Um, another, well, he's got a, he's got a familiar name, but he's not a driver that not many people are going to f- be familiar with specifically. Uh, Matthew Brabham has announced today that he will be driving for AO Racing's LMP2 effort in the 2024. <laughs> for God's sake, I hate you. Um, that is not becoming a thing. <laughs> Please. Sure. Sure. Oh, you can't see what he looks like right now um yeah he'll be racing in the endurance cup races for the IMSA season um alongside the full season duo of pj hyatt and paul luke chatan um matthew brabham's a strange one so obviously he is the grandson of jack brabham the son of jeff brabham who is a four-time IMSA gtp champion uh, so there's a bit of a link there um Brabham's an interesting one. He he's known quite a bit in the IndyCar sphere. Um, he did Indy Lights a couple uh, like quite a while ago. He's he's done one-off outings since, but he was kind of full time about like five years ago or so. And he raced for Andretti in Formula E uh, in the opening few years, or or in a, a couple of races during the first few years of Formula E's inception. Um, but more recently, he's been making a name for himself in the Stadium Super Truck series. Which, side note, <laughs> if you don't, if you have not watched a Stadium Super Truck race, go to YouTube right now. After you've watched Mohammed Ben Suliem shagging a Renault F1 car into the wall, find a su- Stadium Super Truck race and just watch it because that is the most entertaining form of motorsport in the world. Uh, you're giving me a face, but come on, let, you see how you see how high them fucking trucks go. It it could be better. All right, like in in terms of sheer spectacle, it's okay, the second yes. greatest spectacle in motorsport. Well, what's the first? <laughs> the one that calls itself the greatest spectacle in racing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, bit of a wild card i didn't i didn't see matt you know matty brabham obviously going off to stadium super trucks it's a less known thing you know he's been racing elsewhere and a couple of other things um apparently he's even he was he came close to even driving rexy um uh, but it didn't quite happen for him to jump up into an lmp2 seems like a bit of a bit out of the blue now like I, like i said five years ago it might have been more expected but i'm happy for him because he is genuinely a very talented driver it's just he hasn't really been given either he hasn't made the right career choices or hasn't been given the right career choices or been able to. Um, I'm excited to see how he gets on. He's only going to be doing the endurance races, so that's not too many, but hopefully if he improves, we've seen a couple of times that endurance drivers graduate to become full-time, like Louis Delatraz. Mm. Um, And he's now one of the new stars of him, so he's incredible. So we'll see what happens. I can get over his quality lap at Petit. Oh yeah, astonishing, astonishing um but yeah ao racing they're they're making moves and 
they're just an excellent addition to sports car racing. Like I, I, I don't know how long they've been around. I haven't been aware of them for very long, but their impact is palpable and their engagement with fans is just top notch. So kudos to them. Kudos to, to, to Matt for landing a ride with them. Can't wait. My biggest uh, question that still remains is whether AO racing are going to paint the LMP two like a dinosaur as well. Um, I think at this point they have to. In, in the Asian Le Mans series, it's green and black, but it's not painted like a dinosaur. But we'll see what they do for uh, for whack. I can't remember which of us said it, but they could do it like a pterodactyl because of the aero. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like, yeah. It, AO Racing, if you're listening, you can get a pterodactyl race car. Please do that. Please. Do it. I think they should. A, carniv- a carnivorous one, please. <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of things we didn't necessarily see coming we have some nascar news and strangely it's nascar and moto gp related news which i don't think is something that's ever happened before i can't i I can't think of another time that these two sports would mix like this um it was rumored for about the last month or so that this was potentially going to happen but last week it was announced and confirmed that Trackhouse racing will be entering moto gp next year (laughs) Uh, like so this is coming on the heels of um a team in motor shoot we don't we don't cover moto gp here um we're none of us are really particularly au fait with motorbike racing i i I watch me it scares him and and i i just i don't find it as exciting as four-wheel racing i apologize um but you know occasionally i'll watch a moto gp race or a british superbike race um, I was aware of this team uh, that were competing in MotoGP before called RNF Racing. Um, I believe they'd only competed in two seasons, in 2022 and 2023, and they were very much not particularly good uh, just browsing over their um, race results. They they did better in their second season, particularly with Raul Fernandez. They scored a couple of top tens, including a fifth place at Valencia by the looks of it. Um, however, they were very much a backmarker team and subsequently uh, left at the end of, of, la- of la- the last season. Trackhouse are taking over uh, and taking the place of them. Uh, they will operate out of Italy, which is obviously very important for MotoGP. It's very much a, a European-centric se- uh, series. They will have an alliance with Aprilia, uh, having an official factory support team from them. Um, I don't know whether the bikes are going to be liveried up like the American flag, like they were in the uh, promo pictures they um, released. However, of all the American flag looking motorsport vehicles I've seen, that didn't actually look that bad. Um, They've also already confirmed their drivers uh, or riders. Sorry. You can tell we're a uh, car, (laughs) car related podcast. Um, I believe they are keeping Miguel Oliveira and and Ralph Fernandez, I believe. Yeah, they're keeping both. Which makes sense. You know, you want people that know what they're doing. And yeah, it just makes sense. Let's move on to the crux of this. Where the fuck did this come from? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the way I understand it, I was listening to, again, the the Money Lap podcast. They had Justin Marks on. And he's saying, oh, yeah, we, we had our eyes on MotoGP, but not for such an immediate takeover he's like oh yeah we're interested maybe 2025 we'll look into something and then the opportunity came up moto gp's like hey if you want it you know you got six weeks to put it together and 
MotoGP, you know, it's the second biggest motorsport globally, just series-wise. It, it it's only second to Formula One in terms of viewership and appeal to to the mass market. So it it's just an incredible opportunity that that Trackhouse just couldn't pass up, you know. So now they negotiated to run a whole team in six weeks for the top line motorcycle series in the world. This is like Andretti going into F1 with a month and a half notice instead of this whole drawn out period. This is quick. And it makes me wonder who the heck is funding track house. <laughs> you can't tell me that Pitbull and journeyman race car driver, Justin Marks have enough money to do everything they're doing. Who is the puppet master behind the scenes with the money to do all this? Because none of this is cheap. They outright bought Ganassi, factory and all. They freaking <laughs> bought a MotoGP team. With, and they upgraded it to full 2024 factory bike from the manufacturer, which isn't cheap either. Mm. Like, how <laughs> you can't it's tell me mad. this go-kart track in north carolina is that successful <laughs> it's mad what they've been doing they've always spoken of expansion and that's something that you know we we, we rewind back right to the beginning of this episode of this episode where i was talking about how i like the variety of, of of you know teams that race in different things drivers that race in different things championships that do different things i really like track house's approach to racing where they're trying to do as many different things as possible and link it all together. You know, they've, they've always been about expanding, you know, right. As soon as they entered NASCAR, they were already talking about wanting to race an Indy car and, and other things, you know, and, and they're fully responsible for project 91 and NASCAR's newfound uh, appreciation from international fans by getting people like Kimi Raikkonen and this uh, New Zealand guy called Shane Van Gisberger or whatever his name was. Oh my um, gosh, you you know you take that back. They were they were responsible I, for that, and now all the other manufacturers are doing their similar things. But you know, stage sixty with RFK, and you know, twenty three eleven have been bringing in different car drivers in their number in their sixty uh, seven. Yeah, um, you know, they're trend setting in that as well. Everything they everything they're competing in over the last few years, they've been forging a new path, and it's it's incredible the impact they've had on motorsport in such a short amount of time so i'm so intrigued to see how they do in moto gp i it's gonna be i'm sure they're gonna have struggles um you know the the team the team as rnf racing weren't great um but moto gp is a series where where you can get these random one-off weekends where everything just goes right Justin Marks has the ability to motivate people to perform at the highest level. Because mm. when he bought Chip Ganassi Racing, again, where'd the freaking money come from? <laughs> like they, they were not doing so great, but they motivated the team to get wins, multiple wins, and become mm. championship contenders incredibly quickly. You know, like you said, Project 91, you know, right out of the box, uber competitive right off the bat with, with Kimmy and then obviously the win with Shane. There's something about that organization that brings out the best and is scrappy enough to get results and to get eyeballs and draw them to whatever sport they're participating in. With that being said, can can they take over IndyCar marketing? 
It's exactly really the kind of team it. that they need as well. I'd love to see Trackhouse go to IndyCar because that would be a good shot in the arm for the series. Just having a team like that 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 understand the marketing side of it and how to how to make a uh, make an appearance and like you know the only thing Trackhouse is missing is is being fully funded by an energy drink company. It's <laughs> the only thing yeah. they're missing. Oh, uh, Pitbull's going to release his own energy drink. Worldwide energy or something like that. I don't know. Copyright. Yeah, I'm I'm buying that. If that isn't a website, I'm buying that as soon as this is over. Um, just as we end... Th- yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what Trackhouse do in MotoGP. Um, we're still not going to cover it next year. If you, if you are a bike fan and want to be on our show to talk about bike racing to three people that really don't care... Um, let us know i guess it's just not for me i I don't know four wheels over two um final little bit of nascar needs to talk about just before we end this week's show uh again this is something that we kind of knew was going to happen uh aj allmendinger in um a career that goes up and down like a seesaw at this point um will be returning to the nascar xfinity series in 2024 with colleague racing um obviously he last did that in 2022 before moving back to full-time racing in cup with colleague racing and is now going back down again. So it worked out well for him. Um, it's strange that he keeps going up and down and up and down, but he was competitive in an Xfinity and, and colleague are more competitive in Xfinity than they are in cup. I guess if it means he's going to win more races, he will be happy. Colleague racing is interesting. We could almost spend a whole episode on them, but I'll I'll just like we know that they have some funding troubles because um, Matt Colleague is kind of tired of spending the boatloads amount of money he has for the past few years, and uh, they had to pull AJ out of retirement because he was content. Like I'm just going to be doing other stuff, you know. I'll only race if it's fun, and he has a lot of fun driving the Xfinity car. So you know, props to him, and I'm I'm glad he's able to continue racing there. Um, but it really puts up a lot of questions about their cup program, especially since they didn't retain talented drivers like Justin Haley just because of funding. And now it was rumored Ty Dillon was going to be taking over that car, but now even that's coming into question. So we really don't know what's going on with them. It'll be really interesting to see who their lineup is when it gets finalized and even the sponsors that'll be on those cars. So yeah, a, a lot remains to be seen, but you know, they, AJ's a phenomenal talent. I remember watching him in cart way back in the day uh, before that series folded. And he's just always been an amazing talent with such a passion for racing and, and driving. So good to see him to be in a place that, that he likes. Yeah. And he'll still be racing. He'll be running a limited scheduling cup. Uh, they haven't announced which races, but I dare say it will be all the road course ones. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, whilst he is an incredible road course driver, his overall abilities aren't as good you know he won i think he won one oval race in xfinity i think that was at bristol i think he might have won another one as well um you know he's not quite at that level in nascar anyway so you know while you've got his abilities to be able to go and and win almost any road course that you come to if you give him the right car why not and instead moving the car over to another driver who might be more competitive and might help push that team further up to where they should be. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
that about does it for this week's episode of the into the paddock podcast next week as we've said multiple times is our final episode of the year uh where we will have the into the paddock awards as we said make sure you head over to our link tree it's it's in all of the social media bios that we have um and cast your vote let us know who you want to win any of those categories um be sure to follow us at all our social media channels at into the paddock that's with the number two on twitter instagram and threads uh jd where can we find you on socials uh, you can find me on youtube at jd55 sim racing and also on twitter at pedantic squirrel wolf 1r excellent and you can find me on uh various social media channels at jgroves1996 that's twitter instagram and threads and also um in uh the gap between this episode and last i was lucky enough to be a guest on the satellite racing podcast um if you for if you for some reason an hour and 40 minutes of listening to my voice is not enough um feel free to go and check that out it's available on spotify we talk about lots of things uh, sim racing the whole podcasting thing um it, it was fun so uh, go and check that out if you want to give it a listen it was a, it was a good time um in the meantime however join us next week for our award show and our final show of the year hopefully we'll have a full complement of presenters next week but if not it's going to be just as fun as the other 47 episodes that we've had so far this year so join us next time enjoy the week and goodbye thank you for listening to into the paddock by the ita podcast network Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk.